right, well, um, welcome. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. We are in the 41st chapter of Genesis, book of beginnings. We're at verse 9. So after I pray, we will uh, look at verse 9. Uh, last week, uh, we started this chapter I've entitled From the Outhouse to the White House. In a a manner of speaking, that's where Joseph has gone from the outhouse to the White House, or he's about to, as we'll see today. So we last week we looked at Pharaoh's dreams in verses 1 through 8, and he's very upset because he wants, he knows the dreams are significant, and he wants to understand them, and he can't find anybody among his soothsayers who can interpret the dreams, and so... We're going to find out who it is that's going to interpret those dreams. And you know who it is, so you know the end of the story. All right. Oh, by the way, I've been working out of notebook number two. And if we get far enough today, I'll begin working out of notebook number three. But I do believe three will be all. Uh, I think that can get us through chapter 50. I certainly hope so. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. It's been a good morning, and we've enjoyed the fellowship around the table. We've enjoyed the food, and pray you'll use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. Our desire is to please you, and and so I pray that you will use us for your name's honor and glory today. Uh, I thank you that uh, we have the opportunity of studying your precious word, and uh, just thank you for what you're going to say to us now from, from the book of Genesis in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. i got to say, Robert and Linda Maston are back. Welcome. We're so glad you all are here. And their daughter, Lisa, is here today. And Lisa was in the youth group when I was a youth minister in Corpus Christi. Yeah. Twelve. Well, no, it was 13 years ago. <laughs> that right, Lisa? 13 years ago? Yeah. That You and I aren't, aren't that. Yeah. We're, yeah. So I'm glad you're here. Good to see you. It's been a long time. Well, open your Bibles if you haven't already done so. Let's read verses 9 through 14, and then we'll see what, uh, we'll break that down a little bit. All right, now verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, remember the chief cupbearer had done something to offend Pharaoh, had been in prison, Joseph attended him, Joseph interpreted his dream and the baker's dream, the baker was put to death. The cupbearer was restored to his position. And all Joseph asked was for the cupbearer to remember him before Pharaoh, which for two years he had not done. But here we are. Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. We'll stop there. Joseph is remembered and summoned into Pharaoh's presence. The cupbearer, right there, he sees 
the, the anguish of Pharaoh. He hears the words. He hears about the dreams. Nobody can interpret them. They've looked all over the place for somebody who can interpret the dreams. Nobody's been able to do so. And so the cupbearer finally speaks up. He may have been a little timid to do so because he didn't want to remind Pharaoh of how he was once angry with him and put him in prison. Uh, but he remembers Joseph, and, and I put that in quotes in my notes. You can't see that, but he remembers Joseph. And I, 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 uh, I would say I don't know how he could have ever forgotten Joseph. He remembers him. And as frustrating as those two years must have been for Joseph, what do we see that the cupbearer didn't see yet? And certainly Pharaoh had no idea. And maybe Joseph was even beginning, no, we don't see any doubt in his mind. So what is it that is behind all of this? The hand of God. God is moving. God is orchestrating. You know, if if the cupbearer had gone straight to Pharaoh and said, "Somebody, uh, the guy in my jail cell named Joseph interpreted the, my dreams, and Pharaoh would have said, what dreams are you talking about? Get to work. I mean, really, it would have been very unimpressive. It would have meant nothing. But after two years, when Pharaoh himself needed someone to interpret his dreams, then the cupbearer, at just the right moment, tells Pharaoh about Joseph. God's working. So uh, Pharaoh says to the cupbearer, who is this? Bring him. And so they immediately bring Joseph from the dungeon, from the pit. Now, one thing the cupbearer fails to do in relating the story to Pharaoh is to mention that Joseph says, it's all of God and nothing of me. Now, that doesn't surprise us that the cupbearer wouldn't mention that detail to one who himself is perceived to be a God in his own eyes and in the eyes of the Egyptian people. But when Joseph stands before Pharaoh, what's he going to say? Pharaoh, I'm the smartest man in town. What you got? No. Joseph immediately gives credit to God and says, I can't do anything, but God will interpret your dream. We'll see that in a minute. If the cupbearer had said anything two years earlier, I think it would have just fallen flat. But at this moment, Pharaoh had a need for someone to interpret his dreams. So here comes Joseph, he's summoned from the outhouse. Now, when I think of a literal outhouse, and I I expect most of us have been in one a time or two. Uh, When I think about a real outhouse, um, there's nothing very pleasant about it. Smell, uh, weather. You know, there's not much attractive about an outhouse. It wasn't much attractive about the dungeon or the pit in which Joseph was confined. Uh, Don't look at it as the equivalent of Bell County Jail. Uh, They were not anything alike. That pit would have been filthy, and the Egyptians would have just seen that as part of the punishment. We're not going to come in there and clean your pit every day. This is part of it. So from there, Joseph is taken 
he shaves and is cleaned up, gets clean clothes. He's sanitized before he can come into the presence of Pharaoh. And he comes into the presence of the who was then most assuredly the most powerful man in the world. Now, Hebrews in that day grew beards. Egyptians did not. So it was essential not only that Joseph clean up and get sanitized and get fresh clothes on, but that he also be clean shaven when he came into the presence of Pharaoh. So uh, he stands before the most powerful man in the world. And if you were there watching, you would say he's all by himself. Well, that's not really true, is it? Who is with Joseph? God is with Joseph. The great God is with Joseph, and Joseph knows it. Pharaoh doesn't know it yet, but he's about to find out. So we come now to where Joseph listens. We've already looked at the dream once, but we're going to see now as Pharaoh shares it with Joseph. Look at verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. Should have said no one yet has been able to interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. I wonder if for a millisecond Pharaoh's heart sunk or maybe his blood pressure rose when he heard Joseph say, I cannot do it. But Joseph then continued talking and said, but God. How many times in Scripture do we see the conjunction but followed by God? But God. But God. And it turns everything. It changes everything. That's what happens here. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. See, he's added a little bit to the story from its original. Not, not that he's changing the story. He's just given a little more detail now. I've never seen anything like this. They're so ugly. Verse 20, the lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. Now, you know, I don't want you to, after having eaten lunch, I don't want you to spend much time thinking about that, but that's a gruesome scene. It's a very gruesome scene when these cows begin to eat the other cows. And don't see it cartoonishly where they open their mouth and the, and the, uh, and the healthy cow kind of jumps in. This was, this was cannibalism, and, and as cows have, <laughs> however that works with cows, and this is a this is pretty gruesome. No wonder it bothered him. No wonder the dream upset him. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. Meaning, didn't make them look any healthier. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. He continues. In my dream, I had I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. That's a pretty healthy stalk of corn. 
After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin, and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. And I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then, well, let's stop there. Let's save the best for a couple of minutes from now. Joseph listens. Now, are you getting the picture? Here he's standing in front of the most powerful man in the world who is desperate to know what the dream means, maybe a little irritated at his own soothsayers for not being able to interpret the dream, been told this guy can do it. Can you interpret my dream? No pressure, but can you interpret my dream? I've heard you can. Now, Joseph uses a single word that says, it is not me. One word in the text, in the Hebrew text. One word that says, it is not me. He points to God, the Hebrew God, the one true and living God, Ha Elohim. He will do it. Ha Elohim. He's calling Ha Elohim superior to the gods of Egypt and to Pharaoh himself. Remember the picture. Apparently, we know he's not alone, but he looks alone. Standing there, he's a Hebrew, he's a prisoner, he's a slave, standing in front of the most powerful man in the world. He's been asked to interpret a dream. He says, I can't do it, but Elohim will do it. And by saying that, he's saying, my God is better than your God. Or there is only one true living God, Elohim. So imagine the weight of the words falling on Pharaoh's ears. Pharaoh shows no reaction, no anger, nothing. He's heard it. Joseph continues without, or Pharaoh continues without hesitation. He shares the dreams again. And Joseph listens carefully. Now, that whole thing's astonishing. It's just amazing. Most powerful man in the world, at least in human eyes, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world at that time, and this is the head of the country, powerful man. He's just been told by this slave, my God's better than your God, and that means he's better than you. And Pharaoh doesn't say a word in response except to tell his dream. I love this. Sometimes we don't think through all those little details. This is an electric moment. It shows the courage of Joseph and the absolute certainty in his heart that he knew God is right now telling me what your dream means and I'm going to tell you. No hesitation. So Joseph interprets the dream, verse 25. Here we go. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh... The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. Now, how did Joseph know this? God told him. God reveals to Joseph the meaning of the dream. 
Now, we read this, and most of us have read it before, and we've read it many times or heard it many times. So immediately when we hear it, our minds leapfrog to the seven years. But if you had never heard it, never read it, and you read the dream, your first reaction would be, how in the world did he know that meant seven years? God revealed it to him. So the seven lean, ugly cows that come up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God, Elohim, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Remember, dual dreams, two dreams meant absolute certainty. So Joseph is reminding Pharaoh of that fact. It's one reason Pharaoh was so anxious to know what it means. He knew that two dreams like that mean something very significant. He wants to know what it is. Verse 33, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Pharaoh didn't ask him to say that, did he? But Joseph is led by God to say what he's saying because why? God has something in store for Joseph. Remember Joseph's dreams about his family coming and bowing before him? Seems really remote right now, doesn't it? But it's about to become reality. In all these years, Joseph in the prison has been remembering and believing God's going to bring those dreams to fruition. So it's on its way. Verse 35, don't let me chase rabbits again. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. So stop there. Joseph, standing before Pharaoh, doesn't say, give me 24 hours and I'll be back. Give me a little time to think on it. He hears, he immediately begins to reveal to Pharaoh the meaning of the dream. God is the giver of the dreams and God is the revealer of their meaning. This is wholly God-centered, totally, totally a God-centered situation. Ha Elohim is revealing to Pharaoh what he is about to do and what you, Pharaoh, should do. Now, doubling the dream means the thing is fixed by God. And God, Elohim, will soon bring it to pass. Pharaoh, you and all Egypt, are your existence is controlled by God. 
Pharaoh is all ears. Pharaoh hears what Joseph says, and he knows. This Hebrew speaks the truth. He could tell in the words of Joseph the conviction, and also I believe that in the dark heart of this pagan Pharaoh, God was saying, listen to this man, he's telling the truth. So Pharaoh listens. Joseph says there'll be seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. Joseph is grimly explicit. He doesn't try to sweet talk this thing. He's grimly explicit. The famine will be like the cannibalism of your dreams. The famine will consume the land. And this time it'll be real and not a dream. The future is established without reference to Pharaoh at all. It is out of his hands. Remember this, kings do not make history, they serve history. Pharaoh has no control in this. God is in control. Let me give you a New Testament illustration of that. Anybody know where I'm going? Jesus? Did I hear somebody say Jesus? That's always the right answer to every question. Uh, John chapter 19, Jesus before Pilate. And Pilate's, you know, remember Jesus didn't say anything when Pilate was questioning. So Pilate said to Jesus, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize that I, (laughs) I have power either to free you or to crucify you? What does Jesus say? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Here, God is, uh, Joseph is making it clear to Pharaoh, Hilohim is in charge. He is the authority. Now, how does Pharaoh react to all of this? Let's look at page, a uh, page. Let's look at verse, uh, 33. I already did that. Let's look at verse 37. Now, let me finish this. Um, Joseph's plan, brilliant. Why is it brilliant? Because Joseph is brilliant? Because God is brilliant. It's coming from God to, to Joseph. So here's the plan. Save 20% of the grain every year for the next seven years. Store it in distribution centers in the cities around the country so that when the time comes, there'll be sufficient grain to feed the people. And not only will you be feeding the people of Egypt, you'll be feeding the people of the nearby world. Well, welcome family of Jacob. That's how they're going to get here into Egypt. The knowledge of God's purpose is not the end of human planning. It is the beginning of human planning. Uh, We see that... uh, Let me think of a... um, We see that in, in, in our missions endeavors. We've read the last book of the Bible. 
we know what's coming. So what do we do? Do we then fold our hands and say, well, it's, you know, it's all set by God. So we'll just sit here and wait for it to happen. No, we read the last book of the Bible and we say, get busy. We've got lots of people to tell about Jesus. So it empowers our missions. And, and you think about the result of that being, uh, for example, in one of my favorite passages in, in Revelation, the seventh chapter, verses 9 through 10. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. They were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How did the peoples of every nation know about Jesus, come to have faith in Him, and then we see them before the throne of God? Because somebody went and told them. So our missions is empowered by what God has revealed to us in His Word. Well, somehow we got off on that. Let's get back. Let's get back to verse 37. Now, now look what happens. Joseph is, Joseph is lifted up. Verse 37. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, the officials, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Picture it. I, you know, I just love the, I love to follow the little nuances and wonder, what would it have been? Here are all these Egyptian officials. Here's this Hebrew. And Pharaoh says, hey, nobody like him around here. That's terrible English. And all the officials are standing there and they can't say a word. It's true. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, no, look, 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 look again at the can we find anyone like this man, watch this, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Whoa. Now, that's not high Elohim. That's really, he's, he's saying, is there, among all the gods, is there anyone like this man's God? See, Pharaoh hadn't got it all together, and he'll never get it all together. But he's saying, whoa. This guy's God is pretty powerful. Is there anyone like this man in whom is the Spirit of God? And his officials have nothing to say except, yes, sir. Verse 39, look, Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God, Elohim, oh, how did we get there? Since God has made all this known to you, your God, God, Elohim, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people, most powerful nation in the world, All my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. (laughs) Well, 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 here it is. Isn't that amazing? 
Joseph in his heart, his heart must be about to burst. I don't know if he cried then or waited till after he got out of Pharaoh's presence, but the emotions must have been overwhelming all these years. And he kept his faith and his trust in God. And now look what God has done. What an electric moment. So Joseph's plan shows sound leadership and administration. And Pharaoh appoints Joseph to position number two in Egypt. Viceroy, or we'd say vice president in our country. It's amazing. He saw God's wisdom and discernment in Joseph. And so he says, you are the most important person in this country after me. Truly from the outhouse to the White House. Truly. Joseph does not yet know that he will save his own people when he sees his family. But Joseph knows now somehow I'm going to see my family again. I don't know and understand how it's going to happen yet. But God's done this great thing, so I know the next step is just around the corner. And indeed it is. Now, let me change notebooks. And we will begin, we'll just barely get into it, but let's begin um, with the next section, Joseph in Leadership. Let's look at verse 40 and 41. So we already looked at 40. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. <laughs> now, if you just stop, oh, look, that is stunning. That is stunning. He begins the day in a filthy, stinking pit in Egypt. And now he's the second most powerful country, second most powerful person in the country, which really at that point in time made him the second most powerful person in the world. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? Joseph's God focus made him the same man in the pit as he turned out to be in the palace. Boldly attesting to the power of God before one who saw himself as God. Three times, Joseph gives God the credit and the glory for the dream interpretation. Verse 25, verse 28, verse 32. There's no mistaking it. One time, two times, three times before Pharaoh. Unwittingly, perhaps, Pharaoh lifted God's name up over the gods of the Nile when he acknowledges the God of Joseph, High Elohim. Well, we need to have an inauguration if we're going to have a new vice president. So let's look at verse 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger. I tell you, this is utterly amazing. Pharaohs didn't do this. God is in control. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a chain, a gold chain, around his neck. 
He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Well, let's stop there. That's as far as we'll get today. Pharaoh empowers Joseph from the earthly perspective. He gives him a signet ring off his finger. It bore the name of Pharaoh. He could use it to sign. I don't have a ring like that, but he could use it to sign official documents, putting the stamp of Pharaoh on the documents. He had garments of fine linen worn only by official leaders, and he had a gold chain around his neck, which would have been a gift from Pharaoh to him and a symbol of highest distinction, a reward for interpretation that Pharaoh knows in his heart is accurate. And he rides in an ancient limousine, and people bow wherever he goes, and the roads are cleared before him, and Pharaoh says, nothing happens in Egypt without your approval. Then Pharaoh deliberately tries to Egyptianize Joseph, and that's where we're going to pick up next time. Pharaoh likes this young man, but at the same time, Pharaoh wants to make him a full-fledged Egyptian. We're going to see his efforts in that direction next time, and we'll see how that works out. Okay, so back next week. What's what's today, 21st? 20th? 20th? Okay, we'll be back on the 27th then. I can't believe February's almost over. What's going on around here? Time flies. Okay, let's bow. Father, thank you. We are utterly amazed at your greatness, your power, your authority, your majesty, your sovereignty. Thank you for how you worked in Joseph's life, how you delivered him from the pit to the pinnacle. And Father, thank you for what we are going to see revealed in the remainder of the book of Genesis. Thank you for how we see in Joseph a representative, a picture of Jesus our precious Savior and Lord. So now we leave this place. Our hearts are full of your word, and we're ready to serve you for the rest of this day, and I pray that you'll use us for your name's honor and glory. Bring us safely back together next week. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next time.